1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true, true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to the myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we do want to begin the new year by saying yes. Yes to your will for our lives. Yes to your amazing grace. Yes to your unconditional love. Yes to your joy and to your peace that passes all understanding. Yes to your hope which transcends all our struggles, all our suffering, even our deaths in this world. 
Father, this morning we say yes to all that you want to do in us and all that you want to do through us to advance your kingdom, both here in Parker and around the world. And so teach us, Father, as you taught your servant Timothy, how to fight the good fight of faith, holding fast to the confession that saves us. Give us a passion to share our testimony with others and spread the good news of the gospel. Help us build our lives on the strong and sure foundation of your eternal truth. As we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, friends. Thanks, team. Well, this morning we're starting a new sermon series for the new year called To Timothy. And over the next several weeks, what we're going to be doing is diving into um, two deeply personal letters from the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy and talking through what it means to pass down the faith from one generation to the next. Um, and so if you've got your Bibles or Bible apps, I want to encourage you to open them. In fact, if you don't normally bring your Bible, I want to encourage you this year, bring your Bibles every week, all right? And we'll get them open and we're going to start studying them. And um, let's open up to the passage that Karen just read for us so well, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Now, as you're finding your spot, you might be asking yourself why these books, right? After all, there's 66 books in the Bible um, to choose from. So why choose these letters from Timothy? Or to Timothy, I should say. Well, that's a great question. And if you've been around Pepsi for any length of time, you know that we are really driven by four core values. These values frame everything we do, guide every decision we make as a church family. And here's the thing. We didn't just make these values up. (laughs) We didn't just grab them out of thin air. No, we sought God's wisdom in prayer. And we searched the scriptures to find out how the early church operated. And it was books like 1 and 2 Timothy that helped us tremendously. So first and foremost, we are a biblical church. We believe the Bible to be the only trustworthy and authoritative guide to faith and life. And and you know what? Paul and Timothy believe the same. In the second of these letters, Paul will tell Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful in showing us the truth and convicting us of sin and um, correcting our mistakes and training us to live like Christ. And so of all the things that we can do as a church each and every year, right, Teaching you to treasure and to study and to read God's word is right at the top of the list. Amen? Yeah. Second, we are a relational church. We believe the triune God has existed eternally in relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we believe we are made in his image as relational creatures. And so it is not good for us to be alone. Paul was never alone on his missionary journeys. In fact, most scholars believe that Timothy was converted in Lystra as a teenager by Paul himself. And that Timothy left his home and his family at that point in time to follow Paul into the ministry. And Paul loved the people that he worked with and and labored alongside. Even calls Timothy his true son in the faith. And here at Pepsi, we love doing ministry together, friends. And so we want to encourage you in this coming year to build the relationships that God wants for you here with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Join a small group. Get involved in a Bible study. Get a mentor. You name it, right? Life is just better when we do it with those we love. Amen? Yeah. Third, we are intergenerational. The churches that Paul planted with Timothy were filled with an incredibly diverse group of people. They came from all different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, all kinds of different ages, ethnicities, life experiences. And guess what? The same is true for us. And so as we honor, as we serve, as we pour into one another, guess what happens? The faith gets passed down one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. You may not realize it, but we now have 
five generations worshiping with us on a regular basis. Everybody from builders to boomers to Xers to millennials to now Generation Z. All of us here together seeking God. All of us here together worshiping and serving and relating to one another in different ways. And all of us needing one another for this spiritual journey. You know, in, in the Old Testament book of, of Judges, there's this absolutely heartbreaking verse. I think, actually think it's one of the most heartbreaking in all of Scripture. When the generation of Moses and Joshua and those who came out of Egypt passed away and were gathered to their fathers, listen to what it says, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord and the work that he had done for Israel. Judges 2.10. I want you to think about that for a moment, right? How in the world did the generation who saw firsthand the miracles of God, like the plagues of Egypt or the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the provision of manna in the wilderness, how did they fail to pass that on to their children? How did they fail to tell their children of all that God had done for them? How in the world did the generation that met God at Mount Sinai and heard his voice and received his law, failed to tell their children and their children's children about this God, the God who had showed them his glory, the God who had revealed to them his divine name, the God who had showed himself merciful and compassionate and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, you had one job, right? Like, like this was your one job, just, just pass this information on to the next generation. Tell your children about all I have done for you. Tell them why you're no longer slaves in Egypt and why they get to live now in the promised land. But they failed. And the book of Judges, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the book of Judges is an absolute train wreck. All right? And, and, and it's like the worst book in the Bible, honestly. It's horrible to read. All right, and it's because God's people go off the rails and they lose their faith because it wasn't passed on. And sadly, you know what? I see the same mistakes happening in far too many Christians' lives today. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat in my office comforting parents as they wept over what has happened to their children. And they don't understand why their children have abandoned the faith. They don't understand why their kids are struggling so much with fear and anxiety, and they don't understand why their kids are struggling in their marriages or in their families or just in life in general. And yet when I ask them if they taught their children the truth of the gospel as they were growing up, or if they shared with their children their personal testimony of how they came to faith, or if they got their children involved in the life of the local church where other Christian believers could pour into their lives, the answer far too often is no. No, they had other priorities, too many other things to do, too many other places to be. They assumed their kids could re-engage their faith when they got older. And tragically, just like in the time of the judges, their kids now don't know the Lord or the work that he has done for them. Well, as a former Jewish religious leader, the Apostle Paul knew this history, right? And he did not want to repeat the mistakes of his ancestors, which is why he invests so much time and energy into people like Timothy. As I mentioned before, Timothy left his home, became one of Paul's most trusted companions. Together they traveled to Thessalonica, Corinth, and Jerusalem. Timothy was at Paul's side when he was imprisoned in Rome. The New Testament letters of 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and Philemon all come from Paul and Timothy. And now Timothy is being sent as Paul's representative to the church in Ephesus. You can see how close they've become. As a single man, Paul didn't have any biological children of his own, but he had become a spiritual father to many men and women through his preaching and church planting efforts. And now he is nearing the end of his life. 
He's writing this letter after being released from his first imprisonment in Rome, which you can read about at the end of Acts. He knows his time is short. He knows it's only a matter of time before he's arrested again and put to death. And so like any father, he wants to do all he can to encourage his son Timothy to hold fast to his faith in the face of all the pressures and trials that will come. And guess what? We have to do the same for the next generation here at Pepsi. Amen? Our kids are growing up in a world that is hostile to our faith. And they're going to need to know the truth of the gospel and to believe the truth of the gospel, friends, if they are going to survive. They're going to make it, okay? I know, how many of you have ever thought to yourself, you know, someone goes through a tragic time or it goes through a real hard time and you think to yourself, how in the world do people make it without Jesus? Ever had that thought? They don't. They don't. All right? I've, I've walked with them. I've talked with them. I've spent time with them. Let me tell you, they don't, friends. Only Jesus can provide that sure foundation upon which we can build our lives. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about. That's why we're studying this book, all right? Final thing is we're a missional church. You all know what that means. It means the, the, this, this call to pass on the gospel doesn't just be sort of end at the four walls of this building, right? We take it out, take it out into our community, out into our neighborhoods, out into our world. So let's, just, let's start unpacking the text this morning. I want to begin again at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, and this is kind of what I share with the kids. It's what the Apostle Paul calls the aim of our charge, all right? So this is the heartbeat of these two letters. Uh, like I share with the kids, it's the bullseye, as it were, for the Christian faith. He says the aim of our charge is love. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Okay, the aim of our charge is love. All right, say that with me. Ready? The aim of our charge is love. All right, turn to the person next to you in the pew and say, the aim of our charge is love. All right? You should memorize that, right? Put that, put that into your mind. Put that into your heart, right? That is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. And this is always the case for Christians. We believe there is nothing in this universe more powerful, more transformative, more life-changing than the love of God. Love of God is unconditional, it is unlimited, it is unrelenting, it never stops pursuing us, it never stops chasing us, it never stops coming after us. I remember years ago, hearing the new coach up at CU, what's his name again? Thank you, Coach Prime, right? Coach Prime, after he came to faith, he said this, he said, I may be one of the fastest human beings who has ever lived, he doesn't lack for confidence, right? I may be one of the fastest human beings who has ever lived, and at that time he probably was, but I could not outrun God. Isn't that good? Absolutely. That's awesome, right? Now you know why I like him so much, all right? Many of you remember our, our beloved pastor, Bud Sparling, who was here for so many years, a pastor here, telling that young man that, that was serving him at India's kitchen one day, right, God is going to relentlessly pursue you with his love until the day you die. And that kid ran back into the kitchen scared to death, I think. But anyway... <laughs> Right? Many of us probably have similar stories to share about the love of God that would never let us go and how we've experienced that over the course of our life. Is there anything more comforting? Is there anything more reassuring? Right? Man, I have to tell you, I have people in my life, I'm sure you do as well, that I have been praying for for years. I've asked the Lord to change their hearts, but they seem as distant as ever. I've wept over them. I've spent sleepless nights praying for them. I've spent countless hours on my knees begging God for their salvations. And there are many times when I feel like giving up, but that's when I remember the love of God. 
A love that bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. A love that never fails because it flows from a God who never fails. Amen? The Apostle Paul understood this love despite all he had suffered in his life, right? He never wavered in his faith that God's love would prevail, and that's why he encourages Timothy to do the same. You know, Timothy was no stranger to fear. If you know anything about Timothy's story, you know he was no stranger to anxiety. He was very young to be taking on the responsibility of a church. He was very self-conscious about his age. And we know this because Paul tells him in one of his letters right here to not let anybody look down on him because of his youth. Timothy was also fairly shy, fairly timid. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul will remind him he's not been given a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. Finally, Timothy was physically frail. He suffered from some kind of recurrent IBS or gastrointestinal issue of some sort to the point where Paul encourages him to drink some wine on a regular basis to settle his stomach. And, 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 right, <laughs> and help with his... <laughs> Help with this freaking, you really want to be at this funeral on Friday, let me tell you, all right? Let me tell you, Scott's got some good things planned for us, and that's going to be awesome. Man, you got me off track now, all right, that's okay. Timothy was sent to the city of Ephesus to a church in conflict, all right? You can imagine he's this young guy walking in, and Ephesus is one of the, literally one of the centers of pagan worship in the ancient world. It was about as far away from Judeo-Christian values as you can get. When Paul first preached the gospel here, a riot broke out, all right? It was not going to be an easy call. Not only that, but the church itself was in real trouble. Savage wolves, that's what Paul calls them in Acts chapter 20, had come into the church causing all kinds of chaos and division. So they were in bad shape. And Timothy could get in real trouble real quick. And so Paul encourages him to go all in on the life-changing power of God's amazing love. But how does Timothy... This young, young man, this young pastor, lay hold of such a love. And, and how does he teach others to lay hold of this love? Well, here's where Paul's going to start to lay it out for us. He says, you need, first of all, you need a pure heart. You need a pure heart. Now, how does one gain a pure heart? Well, look at verse Timothy, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. This is Paul sharing his testimony. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, only God can give us a pure heart. Only God can perform the heart surgery that every single one of us needs. Only God can take out the heart of stone that all of us are born with and give us a new heart that beats for him alone. This is what happened to Paul. You might remember, Paul was not always a Christian. In fact, in his former life, he was a Pharisee, one of the religious elite in Israel. Not only that, but he was a zealot, 
All right, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was so passionate about defending Torah against unbelievers that he would chase them to distant cities, drag them from their homes, imprison them, and put them to death. If you want a modern-day example, think of what's happening in Iran right now with the morality police. Right? Think about what they do to women who don't wear the hijab. Right? You might have seen the massive protests happening. It's all over the news, right? Because a young woman died while in their custody because she was not dressed appropriately. That was the Apostle Paul prior to coming to faith. All right, he was there in Acts 7 when Stephen was martyred. He led the persecution against the church in Jerusalem. The Bible says Paul ravaged the early church, going from home to home, dragging them off into prison. When those early Christians tried to flee to places like Antioch and Syria, or Damascus and Syria, it was Paul who went after them. And one of those, one of those trips, Paul's life was radically changed. He met the risen Christ outside of Damascus, and he, and, he, and he heard the voice of Jesus offering him mercy, offering him grace, offering him love. And Paul, this fierce opponent of Christianity, was changed. He was saved. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst. All right? And if God can save me, he can save anyone. All right? Paul was the worst of sinners and yet Christ came to save him. And if Christ was willing to do that for Paul, he's willing to do it for anyone. And, and so Paul, gave, Paul received a new heart that day outside Damascus, a pure heart. And, he, and now he longs for the same for Timothy. And Timothy had received that pure heart when he came to faith. And, and guess what? We received that new heart as well when we come to faith, friends. Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That literally is every Christian's testimony. That's every Christian's testimony. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have broken every law of God. None of us, is he, none of us here is better than any other. Don't look at the person next to you and say, well, I'm not as bad a sinner as that person. Let me tell you, you are. You're worse. All right? And, and, and that's, that is just the reality. All of us deserve judgment and death. But thanks be to God that he sent his only son into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. Amen? Yeah, thanks be to God for sending his world, son into the world to die in our place. The, thanks be to God for Jesus who took all of the righteous judgment and wrath of God on himself, satisfied the demands of justice, tore down every dividing wall of hostility, and, and, and made peace with us by the blood of his cross. And thanks be to God that he did it for me, for Doug Ressler, for I too was the foremost of sinners, lost and without hope until I met Jesus and he changed my life and he gave me a pure heart. Friends, if you want to lay hold of the love of God, you must lay hold of Jesus. There is no other way. Amen? Ah, you got to surrender your life to Jesus. Nothing else matters. I don't care how many resolutions you make in this new year. Nothing else matters until you give your life to him. Second, Paul says, you need a good conscience, all right? So you need, you need a pure heart, you need a good conscience. Now, how does one gain a good conscience? By living according to God's word, living according to God's law. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, listen again to what Paul writes. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge 
certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God which is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. You know anybody like that? I look in the mirror and see that guy every day, to be honest, right? Okay? Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, the ungodly and the sinners, the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel, the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. Friends, the law of God is good. It's good. It, it, it restrains evil. It trains us in righteousness. It, it shows us how much we need Jesus. You know, the list of sins that Paul cites here in this passage isn't random. If you look closely, you see him walking Timothy through the many different ways we break the Ten Commandments. The lawless and the disobedient, the godly and the sinners, the unholy and the profane are those who break the first four commandments, right? They are ungodly and holy, refusing to put God first in their lives. They worship idols. They take his name in vain. They break the Sabbath. Not only that, but they break the fifth commandment by striking their fathers and mothers. They break the sixth commandment by committing murder. They break the seventh commandment by engaging in sexual immorality and homosexuality. They break the eighth commandment by stealing and enslaving other human beings. They break the ninth commandment by lying. And they break the tenth commandment by doing whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's, it's simply illustrative of the many ways we break God's commands on a daily basis. And every time we do, we violate our conscience. All right? And we feel condemned and we feel guilty and we feel ashamed. And all of us have been there, I am sure. All right? But God wants us to have a good conscience, one free from guilt or shame or condemnation. The Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't submit then to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to your old ways of living. Don't go back to your old ways of sinning. Those who have been given a pure heart by Christ will find themselves longing to live according to God's law because God's law is good and righteous and true and it leads to a good conscience. Yeah. And they're not going to get caught up in myths and endless genealogies and debates or speculations or conspiracy theories or the web of lies that our world so often tells. Instead, the people that have a pure heart and a good conscience will cling to the truth. They will hold fast to the truth of the gospel. They will do all they can on a daily basis to align their lives along the way of Jesus. And in this way, their conscience will be clear. Amen? That's how you have a clear conscience, friends. You align your life according to God's law. You endeavor to do all you can to live according to God's ways. Finally, Paul says you need not only a pure heart and a good conscience, you need a sincere faith. A sincere faith. You know, one of the things that's so easy for us to do is to fight all the wrong battles. Amen? I die on all the wrong hills. Or we may choose to fight the right battles, but in all the wrong ways. I mean, I think about the many Christians I know who justify all sorts of lies, all sorts of hatred, all sorts of anger in pursuit of seemingly righteous goals. Reminds me of something a brilliant black preacher and favorite professor of mine once said. 
Doug, we do not use Satan's methods to achieve God's ends. Think about that. We do not use Satan's methods to achieve God's ends. No, the aim of our charge is different. It flows from a sincere faith, a deep belief and trust in God's ways over our ways. Listen to how Paul puts it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 18-20. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding, fa- holding faith and a good conscience. And by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I am handed over to Satan, that they may not that they may learn not to blaspheme. Friends, though we are in the world, we do not wage war like the world. Though we are just as human as everybody else, we do not fight the good fight of faith using human means. The weapons of our warfare are not of this world, but instead have divine power to tear down every stronghold and every argument and every opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We fight this battle on God's terms, not our own. Amen? That's right. We take every thought captive, not to ourselves and our ideas, but to Christ. We fight in His strength. We fight in His wisdom. We fight in His power and in His authority. We fight with love and grace and mercy and compassion. And if you think that makes us weak, then I submit to you that you have yet to taste the power of the gospel. You have yet to truly believe in the heart of the gospel. Jesus did not overcome this world through violence. He didn't overcome this world through any earthly throne or rule or power. He did not send his legions of angels down to lay waste to those who were hanging him on a cross. No, he fought the good fight of faith by laying down his life, by sacrificing himself for us. And he overcame our hatred with his love. He overcame our anger with his peace. He overcame our sin with his grace. And now Paul is charging Timothy and by extension all of us to do the same. To not engage the world on her terms, but on God's terms. To make sure we are choosing the right battles. Make sure we keep our eyes fixed on the true enemy because we do not battle flesh and blood. But spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friends, the good fight is for the salvation of souls. It's the salvation of all who do not yet believe. The good fight is for the kingdom of God. It's for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the battle that we should be engaged in. Not the social and political battles that so often take up so much of our time and energy. And friends, we can only engage in this battle if we have a sincere faith. We truly place our trust in the ultimate victory of God. Amen? So let me ask the worship team to come back up, and I'll ask our kids who are now in the lobby to come back in and join us for our final song. A pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Are these the goals that you have set for yourself in this coming year? If not, you're aiming at the wrong target. You're missing the bullseye. Of all the resolutions that you can make this year, drawing close to God has to be number one, right? Come on, it has to be number one. Spending time with Him every day, worshiping with His people every week, building deep friendships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, finding ways to serve His kingdom, sharing your faith with others. This is what the life of faith is is all about and this is how the faith is passed on generation to generation and this is the aim 
of our charge. And so as we begin this new year together, friends, this is what we're going to be pressing you towards. This is what God is pressing all of us towards. And so as we just sang, let's say yes to him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks, and we do say yes. Again, you put the challenge out there, God. You put the the charge out to us, just like you did to Timothy, to to live in this world and to let your love flow through us, God, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so, Father, I pray that all of us here, all of us who are watching online today, that we would say yes to this charge. We would accept this charge, God. We would would do all we can to endeavor to live out this charge in this coming year year. God, we know that as we do that, you will accomplish great things, not only in us, but through us for the sake of your great name. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and sing our final song together, friends.